Good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg with you along with science advisor Matt Moniz, Stephanie Burke, and the silent assassin Matt Costa will not be joining us tonight. They're both otherwise engaged. They're not, well, they're not engaged to each other because Stephanie's already married and Matt's a confirmed bachelor. So they are otherwise engaged in other activities. But we are still here with you to talk about the paranormal as we are each and every Saturday night broadcasting here on WBSM as well as on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com. And we're trying to get Spooky TV up and running. We have it going right now. Is that is that what's happening or are we out? It says it, it, says it is. All right, because I'm I'm still seeing the logo, but it takes a good 25 seconds for things to tra- translate on my screen. But uh, we are doing our best to make sure that we have Spooky TV running for you so that you can see what goes on in the studio. And uh, that's just me. Hang on. That's because I refreshed the screen. There you go. Now you won't hear it. So uh, if you are used to watching it on Spooky TV and you can't hear it where you are over the radio, just tune in WBSM.com or you can go to the... You know, the app store for whatever device you have, download the Radio Pup app, Radio P-U-P, Radio Pup, because he likes to go fetch you whatever station you like to listen to. And you can hear it that way. That's probably the easiest way for a lot of people, especially now with smartphones and everything. Most people want to be able to listen on the go, and you can do that with the Radio Pup app. So I highly recommend downloading it, and uh, I have it. I use it. It's how I listen to WBSM when I'm outside the range, which is most of the day. So, uh, Moniz, you weren't here last week. Uh, you were you were traveling. You were trying to make it around in some of that terrible weather. That was a lot of fun. But you did miss the, the big announcement that we made last week of our next great Legend Trips event, which will be a night of New England ghost stories and legends happening at the Blackstone River Valley Theater in Cumberland, Rhode Island on May 22nd. Tickets are still available, but I can't believe this. We are like... A third of the way sold out already in just one week of announcing this event. That's awesome. It helps that it's only a $15 ticket. Even better. It'll be $20 at the door, but why not save yourself $5 a ticket and order it now by going to legendtrips.com? And this is going to be a little bit different than our regular events, because normally we take you into haunted locations, which we have, by the way, some really cool stuff coming up that I can't give away information about just yet. But if you want to join us on our next great investigative event, a place we've never been to before then sign up now for the mailing list at legendtrips.com because in the next couple of days, we're going to announce our next event. So you'll be able to join us. I'll just say this. We may be, uh, we may be sharing a, a hotel room again. Oh, fun. Yeah. We both snore terribly. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's not pretty. It's okay. not pretty at all. But uh, we will be announcing that this week. You'll have your chance to get on board with that. But right now, you can get those tickets to the stage show and act quickly because they're not going to last. You'll be part of a PBS documentary, too, with that. We're going to be filming that for PBS, and it'll air in the fall. It will be all about the creation of the stage show and the actual show itself. So you'll have a chance as the audience to be involved. So uh, definitely make sure that you get those tickets while they are available and sign up for the mailing list so that you can take part in the next event. Also, a couple other things we want to announce coming up. Uh, here locally, the weekend of April 10th, well, no, the 10th is a Friday, right? So 11th and 12th, there'll be the South Coast Toy and Comic Show here in Fairhaven. And they've got a great lineup of, uh, of guests. Of course, our good friend Gil Gerard will be there. And I had fun. Yeah, we've had some fun with Gil Gerard over the years, both here on the show and uh, in person. Uh, he'll be taking part in the South Coast Toy and Comic Show coming up 
the 11th and 12th. Also, Felix Silla, who we've had here in the studio, uh, cousin it from the Adams family, and uh, Tweaky was that yep. from Buck Rogers. Yep. Uh, Bruce Leroy himself, Tamak from the yep. Last Dragon, he'll be here. Uh, Steve Cardenas from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. He was one of the Red Rangers, I guess. I don't know that much about it. The Devil's Reject, Brandon Webb. He's a pro wrestler, uh, very popular here on the local scene. Uh, the Queen of the Paranormal, Kadrol Shaona. And psychic medium, Tiffany Rice, who is familiar to the spooky South Coast audience. Very familiar. And uh, it'll, that'll be a great event, but we, I won't be there. I don't know if you're going to be here, Moniz, or what your plan is. Every, I won't be there. I'll be at Salem Con. That weekend, and there's still some tickets available, but very few left for Salem Con happening the 10th, 11th, and 12th. VIP party on the 10th, all days lecture and uh, exhibition throughout the course of the day on Saturday, which is only $10 to get into, by the way, at the Hawthorne Hotel, which is a famous haunt in Salem, Massachusetts, and then an investigation at night of some different haunted locations. And then there's some stuff happening Sunday as well. So you have this whole weekend that you can take part in up in Salem, Massachusetts, April 10th, 11th, and 12th. Just go to mghsparanormal.com, I think. mghparanormal.com, sorry. And you will be able to purchase your tickets there. And, of course, just follow me on Facebook and Twitter and everything. I've been putting it up there so that people can take part. Be myself, Jeff Belanger, John Zaffis, uh, Brian Cano, uh, Dustin Parry, Scott Gruenwald, uh, John Tobin, and the Generic Black Shirt Paranormal Group will all be there as well. So it's always a party with that crew. I don't know, Katie, if you're familiar with any of that crew. but I am. Uh, I am. Really, like you wouldn't realize it from, from seeing him on TV, but John Zaffis is a party animal. I... I can see it. I can see it. <laughs> just, Definitely. Just go a little bit. There you go. You can move okay. that around. Feel free. You know, you don't have to move into it. You can bring it right up to you. There we go. We invested in the fancy stuff here. I love it. It's great. This is actually uh, a huge step above from what we used to have. Like, the old 1940s microphones are still around somewhere. That's what we started with. That's actually kind of cool. It is. I mean, we like to keep the heritage here at WBSM, but that's we just say that because we don't we don't buy new equipment. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> when you have people here that you know get used to using something, they don't really want to have anything different. Like I keep looking at this webcam over my shoulder, which this isn't one of ours, so it makes me really nervous. I'm Neither like, is this other one over here. I know it's kind of freaky. They have plans for them, but I, I don't know if that's. You know, I don't know if it's uh, Homeland Security looking at us or not. I know, because they they're both pointed, like, right here. Well, I guess they must have heard you were coming in. Oh, yeah. And they're like, who is this? Absolutely. And so who is this? This is Katie Bertolino. She's our guest tonight. Hello. And uh, tell everybody about uh, about your group. Um, well, I actually I founded uh, Boston Paranormal Research and Investigation Society years ago, uh, but that's more about the research. Uh, and when I investigate, I investigate with Boston's and paranormal investigators out of Waltham. So, out of, yeah, that's pretty close to Boston. That's not too bad. No, nope, not too bad. That's like, uh, you know, the Celtics all practice out there and every, everybody kind of stays in that 128 loop so they don't have to go into Boston proper. But, uh, what are some of the places, you know, what, what's kind of the range of places that your team will go to, to investigate? Well, uh, let's see. Recently we just did the Wayside Inn. Um, really anywhere we can go. Um, like I said, I'm really big with the research. Um, I actually just started research on the old drive-in in Sutton, Mass, and hopefully we'll be getting in there. That, like a literal like drive-in, like we like used to a, go to. In- honest to God, drive-in. It was shut down uh, because it was d- too dangerous. Uh, but it it was a, an icon. 
you know, around Sutton, um, built in around 1946, I believe. I'm sure many generations of Suttonites were conceived there. Absolutely. And uh, we actually have a, there's a drive-in about a stone's throw from here as well, but it's now a dump. So it still has the sign and everything, yeah. but it's it's a dump. Like, and I don't mean it's a dump like, like it's just a crap hole. Like, it's literally a dump. So wow. that's what they're using it for now. But we used to have, what, there was a good four or five in the area around here. Yeah, at least. Wow. And actually, the site of where there was one in Wareham, where mm-hmm. we're from, uh, there's actually a haunted building. Right next to it. Yeah, it's part of the, the same. Oh, wow. Well, what was originally the same property. It all used to be an airport. Yeah. But now it's, there's housing there. And, and that, you know, I, I've heard stories from some of the people that live in those houses over the years. One of our friends, uh, a friend of the show who has, I, I don't think she's been on the show, but we've been over her house filming some stuff and everything. And uh, she actually used to live in those buildings and told me about all this weird, freaky stuff that used to happen. I was like, well, that's because you live in a haunted neighborhood. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. They don't tell you that when you sign the lease. Yeah, but when you think about it, there's history everywhere. Right. There's and- going to be something, I mean, in my opinion. There's got to be something everywhere. My theory is that it, it is all around us. Yeah. Certain places have the right factor for us to perceive it better. Absolutely. But that it's just around us. I mean, and we know that... Uh, I wish Stephanie Burke, my co-host, was here. She's a spirit medium, so she actually has the ability to see these things that you know the rest of us might not be able to. Right. But I like to think that there's people around us, loved ones around us, yeah. that might have an influence in things. But I don't think that they're necessarily jumping in to uh, alert us of their presence all the time. Yeah, no. So if I'm in a haunted house and I hear a door slam, my first thought isn't grandma. My first thought is something related to the location. Yep. Or it could just be playing back, you know, the residual type of haunting, too. You know? Like you said, if the atmosphere is exactly right at that moment, anything could happen. It could play back a moment in time. And and what I find interesting about the, the idea of the residual haunts is that, you know, we always like to say, you know, if a tree falls, does does anybody hear it? And and also, it's kind of the same thing with a res- residual haunt. If nobody's there to experience, does it keep happening? Good point. And I think that in in our modern era, having all the surveillance equipment that we have, and you know, it used to be, i.e., Disney's. You know, recordings that they've been continuously getting. I don't know. I've seen some. I've seen. I've. I have seen some of those Disney recordings, and uh, I don't know if I buy all of them, but some of them are pretty intriguing. And some of the stuff that had been coming from, uh, you know, there was the police station in New Mexico that yeah. had footage. Uh, there was uh, the parking lot security tape that they showed on the History Channel. You know, all these things I found to be pretty intriguing, but it's not just that. It's not just places where they have surveillance cameras anymore, because now we're setting up people's homes right. wired all the time. So... And one of the things that they were actually working on, which I think is going to really wreak havoc with places that have activity, is they're working on making everybody's house kind of interconnected via their... Like uh, a smart house. With the Wi-Fi connections and everything. Yeah. So when you want to turn the volume up on your TV, you'll just sit there on the couch and go, with your hand, and the volume will go up. Exactly. So what's going to happen when something walks through and disrupts that Wi-Fi field and is able to move? You know, all of a sudden, I'm going to be like, why is the electric bill, you know, $1,200 this month? Is it because we left the TV on or because we have a ghost that was turning the TV on? Right. So it's... But it's... It'll be better for research. It just might not be so good on the wallet. True. That's true. Now, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, since 
all this modern technology is being embedded into everything. Most houses have a basically a smart TV yeah. mounted to the wall. Those have you know various sensitive optics and things like that. So yeah, you can activate various things just by motion. You know, like the connects using the connects to control various devices. So. Tim's not far off when he says if you have something moving around. Absolutely, like, I could, agree. could be setting stuff off. Well, and if that is the case, though, if that if we are going to be able to detect them more frequently, it's going to have to change kind of the nature of what we're going to talk about, which is the idea of, of skepticism versus belief when it comes to paranormal investigating. And I know, Katie, that's something that you've been researching for quite a while. Yeah. But, and, of course, we welcome everybody out there to get involved in the conversation again. No spooky TV, really. I wouldn't depend on it. You can turn it on. It seems to be working right now, but the Internet's kind of giving us some trouble here. Yeah. So I would definitely back that up by also turning on the audio stream at WBSM.com. The Internet giving us trouble here in the studio? I, there were, I had a long conversation with the engineer. They're working on it. They, they want to they wanna make sure they get everything top-notch for us. But as of right now, you know, we're dealing with some issues. So uh, definitely have the audio stream going uh, separately from the video stream. But you can also join in the conversation. You just go to Twitter, use the hashtag SpookyLive, and we'll be able to see your tweets. It also collects right there on Spooky TV. You can also call in 508-996-0500-877-996-1420. And if you do decide to tweet, and uh, again, make sure you use the hashtag SpookyLive. You don't have to tweet it directly to us, but it helps, especially if you have a few extra characters. And our Twitter handle is at SpookySC. So, uh, and you can follow Katie on Twitter as well. We have it linked up on our Twitter account. I think that when we get into this, you know, we always have a variety of calls that will come into the show of people who will say, I don't believe in this stuff, but I find your show entertaining. Or people that will say, I believe in this stuff, but I don't think that you guys are skeptical enough. The way that we are on the air is different than we would be as investigators. Moniz, you've been doing this for a long time. You know, you're going to have a skeptical eye when you're in an investigation. But when we're here, our job, the way we see it, is to kind of be the conduit for the story. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it does mean no good to start bashing people over the head with, you know, very harsh, inquisitive questions, because what are they going to do? You're going to get defensive, and you're not going to get much information. You're just going to get an argument. We've, we've learned rather, over the years how to, share. Yeah. We've learned how to strike that balance over yeah. the years. We can still ask the questions, but just in a non-confrontational way. So I think sometimes people, because of the fact that we're operating in a journalistic, well, we try to be at least in a journalistic mindset here, they feel like that maybe we're not as skeptical as we could be. And that's not the case. There's many right. times when we're having this conversation, we break for the news at 11 o'clock, oh, we're yeah. looking at each other saying, <laughs> "What? The- I don't know if I'm buying half of what this guest is trying to sell us, but you know, it's an interesting conversation. And, and that's what we see our job as, as, as keeping the conversation going. If you're listening to this show... And having what we talk about on this show be what makes up your mind about whether or not paranormal activity is real or not, well then I don't I don't want that job. So please don't do that. Right. Like that's not what we that's not what we're here for. You know, we're here to just kind of educate, inform, entertain, and then it's up to you to take that information and put it to use. Right. And I think a lot of people they don't do that when it comes to investigating, no matter whether they fall on the skeptical side of the coin or the true believer side of the coin, they're locked into that mindset. Right. Has that been kind of your experience, Katie, in in your research? Absolutely. Um, The first thing that I realized years ago with my my research was that our brains automatically go to 
a normal explanation. Say, you know, we see something right in front of us that is clearly paranormal, meaning not normal. Our brain is going to find a way to explain mm-hmm. what we just saw. And it, it's, it's like a defense mechanism. So when you have a hardcore skeptic who says, I don't believe, that's it. Bottom line, that's I don't That's not a skeptic. I have to keep correcting people. People Thank like you. that, they are cynics. Thank Cynic you. is Very a big difference good. between a skeptic. Very good. Exactly. But exactly. The, the, the problem with that is that for those of us who do believe, who have had the experiences that have convinced us that it's real, our defense mechanism is to automatically believe what's happening as being paranormal. So it, it, just as much as you can get wired into constantly being skeptical of it, you can just as easily get wired into believing everything is a ghost. I've seen that a lot, too, where no matter what, you're, you're going to believe that it's paranormal. And it's almost... Um, it's almost contagious, the word would be, during an investigation, if, especially if they're not, you know, uh, maybe veteran investigators. And then the other people around them might be having experiences. It's very common that pe- the people around them will automatically they believe that they're experiencing it too. Right. Part of it is that you don't want to be left out, you know, subconsciously. You want to be part of what's going on. Part of it is you don't want to be the the squeaky wheel. Well, right. You know, sometimes you want to go along to get along. But I think also, too, like we hear it like with an example of a VVP where somebody says, oh, gee, I'm not sure what I hear. Well, I heard I'm coming to get you. Oh, yeah, I heard that too now. Exactly. You know, it's, it think, things can be so highly suggestive in the paranormal field that people just kind of take that for what it's worth. And, and Unless it's a very blatant EVP saying. Well, yeah. Right. Which, you know, that, that does happen. But there's a lot of times when it's kind of borderline too, and, and people are kind of looking at each other like, what would you hear? What did you hear? And that makes up their mind for them. Part of that too is I think that there's that, uh, that mentality as well with people who – they see it on television, and they say, well, uh, it, it made it to TV, so it must be real. It made it to television, so it must be true. Right. I was actually on Paranormal Hangover this past week with Mark and Lauren promoting SalemCon, and we got into a big conversation about that, about how people have based paranormal research over the last 10, 15 years on what they've seen on television. Right. It doesn't really work that way. <laughs> exactly. I mean, if that was the case, then, you know, uh, we'd be taking a commercial every 14 minutes and we would hear some mysterious noise right before the time came to do so. Well, people don't realize... That has happened on various investigations. We've taken commercial breaks? Well, if you want to call it commercial. (laughs) (laughs) We sell advertising during our investigations. Right, right. Tonight's, Tonight's investigation brought to you by Ghost Ark. Well, people don't realize that in a you know a twelve-hour span, um, you know we might actually only have a few pieces of usable evidence to put on, you know, like you know, ghost adventures or, or other wait, you know wait. those shows. You mean investigations go on for twelve hours? I know, right? I thought they just went on for like two, one hour. two segments of a, of a forty-four minute block of time. Exactly. That's- but yeah, it, to to get that that little bit, you got hours and hours to go over. And also, people don't realize either. A lot of times with those shows, they're there multiple nights. 
You know, exactly. I, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, with Ghost Stalkers, obviously the format of that show involved each person being in there over the course of one night. So that was part of the storytelling process. But a show like Ghost Adventures, you know, they might take three days to do a, a exactly. lockdown. Right. You know, and, and it, so what seems like in my, and we know with Ghost Hunters, right. sometimes it's one night's worth of filming, sometimes it's three nights worth of filming. And it's whatever you need to take to be able to cover the ground of the investigation. Right. You know, obviously, if somebody wanted to come here, this is kind of a one-night building. But if you go to some place like Waverly Hills, you, you want, want a little more time. time. Exactly. Well, yeah, you have a lot more area to cover, and a lot of these shows, you know, depending upon how many people, you got to film the things from different angles, different groups at different times, and because that would take forever in one night, and you'd never get anything done. That's why they do large places with big groups, and it takes them three or four days. Right. One of the uh, questions that I always have for people that are uh, skeptical is, what will it take for you to believe? What will it, what, what do you have to have happen? And some of the requirements that they have are just not feasible. I mean, you know, uh, you ask one person, well, I, I want a ghost to come up and slap me in the face. All right, but maybe they can't do that. Right. You know, maybe, well, maybe they can, but maybe you'll never be in a situation where it happens. Where that can happen. But that doesn't mean it's any less real. All right. right. So they want to be slapped in the face, but a full body apparition that happens directly in front of them and then proceeds to talk won't do it. They want the physical contact. Hey, listen, I've right. never been to Disney World, but I'm pretty sure it's real. But yeah. that's, again, because their, their brains are automatically finding reasons why what they saw didn't really happen. I think you need to have almost like a sensory overload for some of these people where it's got to be the complete experience. Whereas for some of us, we don't have to have that. We can kind of have just a little taste of it. And that's enough to make us at least want more. Right. I mean, I was never really completely convinced until I was thrown up against a wall. You know, when that (laughs) happened. Yeah, I know how that works. (laughs) But that was what it took for me to kind of be like, okay, everything else was always kind of. it was always kind of, all right, this is making me think a little bit more. All right, this is making me think I'm down the right path. But being thrown up against the wall was what made me say, all right, hands down, I can 100% get behind this. No, now. your and, hands and were never, up, actually. Well, that's true. That, point. <laughs> that was no, why I was, I was there. The I watched it happen. I was like this, and that's why I was The look on his wow. face was priceless. But now I know that that took place. So now that opens up a whole new batch of questions for me that I want to have answered. Whereas for some people, that's enough. For some people, that happens. They close the door and they say, I know that it's real. I'm going to go away now. See, yeah. that's, that's, I mean, I would want more and more, you know, I, it's never enough for me personally. But yet people that are skeptical for the most part can go out one night, not have anything happen and be convinced. Right. That exactly. nothing happened? Well, they'll so be convinced convinced. <laughs> that nothing will ever happen. Right. So they're, they're convinced that there is no such thing. All right. So if people took that same mentality fishing, you'd never catch fish. Exactly. Well, some of us never uh, have. Well, this is what, how I try and explain it to various other people that don't understand. You know, right. why are you wasting your time? It's like, well, I, I, I never encountered a ghost. And I was like, well, do you go out in a parking lot to go fishing? Exactly. You know, you have to right. go to the, you have to go to the pond. Right. And even when you do, you don't always catch a fish, do you? Exactly. I mean, there's no other way to put it so perfectly. It's exactly the way it is. You have to put time and effort into it, you know, and it's not even guaranteed that you're going to to see anything or feel anything 
or, you know, capture anything, there's no guarantee that it's going to happen when you're out investigating. But there's also that old school mentality, too, of, you know, there's a lot of older investigators, and I don't mean, you know, just age old, but just people that have been involved in it longer. People who've been doing this since before. You're looking at me because I'm both? (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) But no, I'm, I'm thinking, you know, like if you go back to the people that are of the generation just before the current crop of investigators, or even maybe some that go a little bit beyond that, uh, I think there was kind of more of a, a there was a little bit more acceptance if you look at some of the investigators of the you know the 1920s to the 1970s. There was people that were kind of taking at face value that this stuff existed and they wanted to explore the why, but then you came up against the science wall right. in, in the 80s and 90s, and, and that science wall has given birth to the mentality of... Uh, you know, I've been doing this for 25 years, and I've never even caught a single EVP. I think that they do exist, but I've never caught one. And how can you go out there the first time that you've ever investigated and come home with 27 Class A examples? And I think that we need to kind of throw all that aside. Right. Because that doesn't mean that, you know, like Moni, you know, Carrie Moniz's is a analogy a little bit further. You know, you were maybe fishing with the wrong bait. You were maybe in the wrong fishing hole on the lake. You know, it all depends on... Yeah, to me, the who's involved? A sinker in, instead of a top spinner. You know. I'm yeah. not that good at fishing. So I have no I idea know. what that yeah, means. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in other words, bait sent to the bottom where most fish are fishing up at the top top of the uh, surface of the water. Oh. Wherever the sunfish swim, that's what I'm yeah. catching. So, <laughs> my most my most successful catch is at the uh, the seafood counter at the supermarket. Gotcha. I'm with you. But and it's usually you know not as fresh. But the <laughs> the. Uh, if you look at some of the people that are doing it now, too, I mean, I think that it's become more of, I don't want to kind of classify people, and, 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 and I don't really want to piss anybody off, but if sure you look, you it's it's more of an everyman activity now than it was before. Yeah. And it, it's it's more of a, you know, a lot of, the, you know, you're looking at people that are coming out of the Rhine Center you know, in the 70s yeah. and 80s, people who are coming from, uh, you know, parapsychological backgrounds and, and they, they're academics more than they are, you know, blue collar investigators. And I think that because it's become more laid back, more relaxed in terms of how it's being conducted, because it's being conducted kind of like what they're seeing on TV, I think that's probably giving us more results. Is it giving us more false positives? Absolutely. Right. Because it's sloppier investigating. Mm-hmm. But I think it's also led to more interaction because. You know, you and I, the three of us, we're all regular people. And who do we want to have a conversation with at a party? The cool guy over here or the nerd over there? You know what I mean? And I, I know that's kind of a generalization, but you know what I'm saying. Where's the hot chicks? <laughs> Unfortunately, there there are none in this analogy. So, uh, But that's that's just kind of my thinking on it is that because more everyday people have been getting involved and it's become more of an everyday occurrence. And and it doesn't mean that uh, it's any less real. It doesn't mean that it's any more real. It just means that the activity is happening differently. And I uh, part of my theory is that it's not all dead people either. I agree 100%. I mean, I think a lot of this is our own doing. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of it is power of suggestion. Yep. I think a lot of it is maybe some kind of mental abilities we have that we don't realize. And I think a lot of it is kind of, you know, the the creation of these spirits because we want them to be there. Well, in my, in my opinion, 
the the term poltergeist isn't like the movie, the poltergeist. I personally believe that a poltergeist is created. And I, I have done a lot of research on this topic, and I've had many conversations about it. And I believe that these entities are created. Um, it could be from any person, male or female. The majority is younger females tend to give this off. And it's actually, it, it can it can turn into a very, you know, evil situation. And it can hurt, and it can cause you know, sadness and anger and pain, but that's not, a, it's not somebody that lived before. Right. You know, it, it's not a demon. It's, it's literally a creation from within. Now you tell that to some paranormal investigators and they're like, oh, really? You mean it's not a ghost? Well, crap. I was really hoping it's like, uh, well, wait a minute now. Because we're just saying that people cause that. That's way more interesting to me than a dead person. Exactly. It's so much cooler. I mean, I, I just, I don't understand how they can't I look at it this way. Same spirit, different volume. What do you mean? In other words, there are some people like what you're talking about, creating a poltergeist. It's yes. still That's still the person's spirit generating something. Yes. A ghost being uh, just the faded echo of that person once they pass. Same spirit, different volume. Very good. I like that. I like that. And I think that we get, you know, a lot of the, the believers that believe that it's real and uh, and I don't mean to say that, you know, you're you're one of the one or the other. I realize that a lot of, you know, a majority of the field can keep a balance. Right. But there are those that can't. And but if you're somebody who is a true believer that thinks that the paranormal exists, then you you're locked into the idea that it has to be, you know, a ghost has to be the spirit of a dead person and I I don't understand why you would limit yourself to that. Well, right. Especially when you look at some of the cases that I'm sure you've encountered and I know that we've encountered over the years where you know, you you can pinpoint activity, but you can't pinpoint a reason for the activity. You can't pinpoint a history for the activity. Right, right. And I've 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 been kind of I've hit walls before because of that. Before I I really learned more, and that's what happens. I think when people do jump into investigating without really knowing what they're doing, and I I couldn't understand. Well, how is there activity? There's no deaths in this house. You know, there's there's no. Indian burial grounds or you know what I mean and I couldn't understand and and today I have a much different mind frame on the whole thing I, I kind of look further at the whole situation and say okay well what's going on in the home you know right and, and you go from there what, what changed your mind was it time and experience or was there a particular case that kind of shifted you it was actually uh, it was a case um, about five years ago um, the woman she was being terrorized and you know my whole thing is like I said the research and I, I question and question and I want to know everything I wanted to know her her daily routine basically so I could figure out what was going on and there was nothing there was nothing in the history and then I, but I started noticing things with her and that's when my eyes started to open and I realized wait a second I think this is this is coming from her. And then I did more research, of course, and I realized that it's it's a thing. You know, it's, it's it really is. I know that we've had conversations, Moniz, you and I, about certain people uh, that have come to us with cases or even maybe in some cases investigators who have come to us and were like, okay, I, I don't know if this stuff is legit. 
or if there's something wrong with this person. Whereas then we start wondering if the person is haunted, not necessarily. Not even if the person's haunted necessarily, but sometimes it's they want to believe too much, ah. and so everything everything becomes a ghost to them. Everything becomes real, uh, and you know it's it's fine if you're somebody that has a lot of activity happen around you. I I'm not tooting my own horn here. Activity tends to happen around me. We've talked about this in the past, and especially you know if we go to a Legend Trips event. There's people who will say there's no way that when you're bringing 40, 50, 60 people into a haunted location that you're going to get any kind of result. But yet we come out with all these experiences. We come out with all this evidence, all this data that we have collected over the course of the night. And people are like, well, how is that even possible? They, excuse me. They automatically assume that it's, uh, that it's something that is being misconstrued. It's something that was as a result of all the people there. But that might not be the case at all. It might just be that the energy was right that night, the right people were there, and maybe that's the case yeah. of some of these people that are quote-unquote ghost magnets. Right. Maybe they just have the right makeup. Well, you, well give, I'll give you a good example. When we were up and we started having those uh, peach pits thrown. And, right. Uh, yeah. The weird little, yeah. It really? Was, yeah. We were at the, the Murdoch we Whitney, Whitney House, House in Winchenden. Yeah. And we were in the basement, and uh, which... Was kind of that was like the coolest basement I think of yeah, all the places that we investigated. It was it had all these little multiple rooms and uh, when we're down there, uh, where there's this far corner of the room uh, of the basement and a very dark corner, and out of nowhere, was it Paul was the yeah, first one. Paul was the first one. I was standing right next to him. The thing went whizzing right by me. Wow! And he gets hit with something. He's like, "What the?" Right. And, and he looks on the ground, and it's a peach pit. Wow. Yeah. And it happened, and then I was over there, and, yep. and something threw one at me. And it's okay, like, if there's these peach pits on the ground and mice are eating them or what have you. You know, first of all, where'd the peaches come from? Because right. there's no peach tree on the property or anything. Yeah. There's none around. As far as we can see. Right. Well, I asked Dawn. I was like, is there any peach trees? No, no peach trees around. Do you guys keep peaches around? No. So wow. it would have no reason to kind of manifest out of nowhere but these these peach pits are there but if it was mice you would expect that like you know they're on the ground these are being thrown at us at like from eye across, level yeah right. from across the room right and see that's frustrating to me because you will have these skeptics that that will find the explanations like oh it's from the, the rats or whatever okay how did they throw it then yeah. You yeah. know? From across the room. Yeah. We're there. We can see across the room. Right. Exactly. <laughs> there, we know there's nobody else there. Wow. <laughs> see, that's... And they came from that. No, uh, Jim and I can verify. We know there was nobody in that direction there because was, we're looking one right of the, there. One of it came out of the corner. Yeah. Like we're, you know, it's him and I standing this close and the corner's right there. Yeah. So there's no way there's anybody in the corner and it like just comes shooting out of the corner. Okay. So yeah. where is it coming from? Does that not blow your mind? It did, but yeah. we had people that were in the room with us that couldn't believe it, that had to kind of, well, maybe they're falling from the rafters. Okay, well, put your hands up there and tell me where the peach pits are in the rafters. Right. You know, put right. your hand up around anywhere else that you want to try to find them. They're not anywhere. They, right. were, they weren't there to be found. That's crazy. Yeah, we found it rather interesting. That is very cool. And uh, what's, what's funny is, you know, <laughs> if you asked me about that night, it'd be a story that I probably wouldn't even remember. From all the activity that was happening. Yeah. Oh, wow. You know, but here it is, like, this pretty profound thing. But, like, there's so much other stuff that was going on. And, again, it's a Legend Trips event. There's, what, 40, 50 people in the house. Yep. But still, stuff was happening. And, wow. and to have it happen in a way that, as that was going on, 
we had activity happening upstairs at the same time. Because if you remember, we, yeah. we could hear them upstairs. Wow. And so it just shows that, you know, maybe it doesn't matter how many people are there. Maybe it doesn't matter how tainted you may think the investigation is. Oh, right. Right. When you first got involved, I mean, did you already enter in your research? Before you even got into the investigative stage, we were talking off the air. Yep. You were saying you were a researcher first and an investigator after that. Yep. When you first got involved, had you already had your own experiences yes. that put you down that path? Yeah, uh, it started when I was just a little girl, and I can I can remember these things very vividly. Um, of course, my parents explained them as nightmares or dreams. Um, of course, looking back now, I know they weren't. Um, but I, for some reason, uh, kind of like you, it just happened around me. Um, the most profound one was I was living with my parents and my brother and sister in Tucson, Arizona. And I heard knocking on our back door. Um, now it was pouring rain. The back door is covered. And if anybody was there, there would have been wet footprints. But at the time I ran and got my dad, I was just a kid, and he came running. Um, he was a correctionals officer at the time. So we actually went up in his closet, got his, his gun, and went running to the door. I could see the handle moving. I could see it moving to this door. There was nobody outside. There was nobody. There was no footprints, nothing. And, of course, at the time, I was I was just a kid. I just let it go, you know. And then as I got a little older, I was like, wait a second. You know, that's something. You right. know, I know that was something. Um, and I would sleepwalk a lot. And I would f- wake up in different rooms, and I could never really understand that. And I kind of would later put the two and two together that it was coinciding with these dreams I was having. So, uh, yeah, I guess I, I just always knew. Not, not, not that I'm trying to one-up you here, but I used to wake up, <laughs> instead of being in a different room, I woke up in a different neighborhood. Okay, that's scary. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't want to go any further because Moniz likes to start going down the uh, alien abduction path, and I don't like to go down that path. I don't like to even <laughs> think about that. But I'm leaving it alone. If I mean, you want me to. but I had experiences my whole life too, and I I remember when I was a teenager. You know, I I slept on this one particular house that we lived in. It had an old sun porch, and that sun porch had been turned into a room, and that was my bedroom. So I was like the only one in that area. Everybody else was in another part of the house, and I had what was essentially uh, a, a door like that would be an outside, you know, an outside inside door right. that went between my room and the living room. And I remember waking up in the middle of the night, and and I would the handle would be moving on that door. Oh wow! Something would be trying to open that door and get in. Yep. But in being you know fourteen, fifteen years old, I wasn't thinking ghost. I was thinking that there was somebody in my house. Right. And it, it's amazing now because looking back on it, it was like, well, I should have been thinking ghost because that was actually the more plausible explanation. Exactly. You know, nobody was walking into my house in the middle of the night every night again and again and shaking the store. But I think it's because, like what you said, I I didn't want to accept that possibility, so I was keeping it out of my mind and I wasn't even allowing it to be. Even though I knew that if I went and stayed over my cousin's house uh, at the same time, I would I know that I would experience activity, but I couldn't fathom that it was happening in my own house. Exactly. Exactly. So as you were having these experiences, uh, how was it that you started to do the research? Was it something that you had to kind of go and do on your own? Honestly, I think one day I just I just said, I, this is what I want. This is intriguing, you know? And I always want, for every answer I find, I, I, I feel like I have three or four more questions. And because... 
I don't know, maybe it was a time in my life where I was thinking about, you know, my past and, and where I had been and, you know, all that stuff. And it just, it just felt right. And I think at the time I was living in a home where I was experiencing stuff. Um, you know, it, it was scary. It was very scary for me. I mean, I remember my bed being, you know, kicked or hit in some way and it would shake and it was hard enough to make a noise. And I was terrified and I, I needed answers. And I really started just putting things together and it just felt right. You know, and I, I wanted to know everything I could. And, you know, today, I've been doing it for, you know, over 10 years, but I still feel like there's so much more I have to learn. You know, I'll never stop. Well, I, I think that eventually, you know, you, I've reached a point of what I would call satisfaction, where I know that, um, you know, I've accepted that things are real and I've accepted that things do happen. And I've kind of reached the point where I don't have to, you know, every time somebody calls, I don't have to run right out and use this as an opportunity to go out and investigate and, and, and answer questions because I've had questions answered for me. Right. But that doesn't stop me from, you know, wanting to learn and wanting to do more. Like if I, if somebody called me up and said, uh, like it happened this week, somebody messaged me and told me that they had this situation going on out in Utah. You know, and I don't feel like I need to hop on a plane and go out to right. Utah to help this person, but I, I will find somebody that's out there and I'll say, keep me up to date with yeah. what's going on uh, because I want to have those questions answered. But it's it's almost like I know. I've made up my mind of, of what I think I know. See, I and I agree with you there. I know what I believe, and I believe that, that there are so much, you know, there's so much out there, so much more than what we can see and feel and touch. But I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm there yet. I'm not 100% satisfied. But that doesn't mean I don't, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a skeptical believer. But that's only because I want to learn more. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm probably at that point where, yeah, if somebody says, hey, I got an issue, yeah, I'd probably still want to have, you know, those answers. Do you think that you have to have, I don't want to say a predilection for belief, but let's, you have to at least be accepting of the possibility to be able to have these experiences. Do you think if you're completely closed-minded to the possibility, you can still have an experience that will change your mind? Or do you think once you've turned it off in your mind, it's not going to happen for you? Oh, that's a tough question. Uh, you know what? I, I don't know. I really don't know. I know that, I know that if you don't believe and, you, and your mind is made up, I think that you're going to find other explanations. So you may still be having the experiences, but if you've made up your mind, the mind's very powerful. It's going to say, hey, you know, it was the wind or it was this or it was that. We've seen this firsthand. We've had people that you and I both know were ardent, ardent cynics watch them have an experience and then ask them about it later on i don't remember that that never happened yeah well that's the thing though in my mind like, I, we have be, you on video i'm not, right, I'm right. not sure though that they were 100 percent completely skeptical though you know okay. i'm just taking them at their word that they were but i don't know if they had doubt in their heart okay. i don't know if they had uh, that little bit of a window that they left open just a crack just in case something wanted to work its way through i mean uh, the most obvious example of course is when we were at the houghton mansion yeah and, and the lawyer that was downstairs yep. with Jeff, and, and you know he was probably one of the most. I don't even want to say skeptical. Uh, I want to say he was cynical. He was definitely a cynic, yeah. Uh, because he, there was no way any of this stuff was happening. He was there just to humor his wife, uh, who was. It's funny because if you saw this couple, yeah, he was 
definitely not having any of this, but he supported and loved his wife, who right. was having all of it. Yep. I mean, she was just having experience after experience. She was having all these psychic flashes. She went up into the yeah. psychomantium yeah. chamber and went over the edge almost because of the stuff that she was experiencing. It was wow. just all coming down oh, yeah. on her all at once. I mean, I think what happened was I think she... You know, she already had a sensitivity and an, and an right. ability, and didn't realize that when she walked into the place, the place was just going to rip that open even well, more. Right. And that place was off the hook the whole night, anyway. That whole experience, <laughs> that whole weekend. See, yes. I've never been there, but I have. I have read you, up. You on should it. just, you know, tonight after you leave here, just drive yeah. four hours. And I go. would too. Are you kidding it's, me? It's that insane. They're actually having an event on March twenty eighth. Uh, so that's what next week. Yeah. I think. Let me. Let me just look. look. Next Sunday. Let me just make sure I get it right, because uh, I want to make sure that uh, I give you the correct information. Because our friend Jeff Belanger, who runs Legend Trips with us, yes, March 28th, a private ghost hunt at the haunted Houghton Mansion in North Adams. Each attendee will get a copy of the New England Legends DVD that features the Houghton Mansion. Wow. So that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. It's being put on by the Houghton Mansion itself. Uh, I'm trying to look and see. Uh, tickets are $75. And if you go to HoughtonMansionGhostTours.org, you'll be able to find all the information. And I highly recommend that people get out there and do it because that place is just ridiculous. It yeah. is nuts. I, I mean, we go to Lizzie Borden's on, on the regular. I mean, we're, yep. we're there all the time. And I would put that as one of the I most. I have my own key. Put, do you really? That's yeah. funny. I, Ask him. Am I wrong? I, we were, my fiance and I were just discussing that house not three hours ago. Just discussing it. I mean, I have so the much to say about we've that seen place. There. I, I have, like I said, I've never been there, but it's one of those that I have done a lot of research it, on. It's I one of those places go. when it goes nuts, it goes nuts. Okay. And sometimes it, it's just quiet as a church mouse. Wow. It, I, I can tell you that out of all the places that we've been, and if you name a haunted place in New England, we've probably been there. Of all the places I've been to, it's the one that I can't wait to go back. I mean, I'm wow. I'm thinking that if I have free time, <laughs> I might go up there next Sunday. Just I'll drop seventy five bucks to go. Oh, I was hang out there again. We talk about Lizzie's, but oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, right, yeah. no, but I'm I'm yeah. going back to Houghton Mansion. Uh, the Lizzie's is to me like it's almost become uh, because we're there so often. It's almost become kind of I don't want to say run of the mill because it's never really run of the mill, but you know, to me, it's kind of like it's. It's my story kind of crossing with that story, if you get what I mean. You know, it's, I, yeah. It, whereas with the Houghton Mansion, it's like all of a sudden I'm dropped into this place that I've heard all about. Right. And <laughs> I can tell you, I'm supposed to be helping to run this event, and I'm freaking out about what's going on. So, like, all these uh, people around me are freaking out. Right. And I have to, like, be the one that keeps my cool, you know, just for the air of professionalism involved. And even I'm like, holy crap. Right. Like, with what was going on. Well, we're watching... There's a small hallway that's kind of hidden away, and as I'm on one side and some other people are on the same side as me, and then other people are on the opposite side, we're like this far away from each other, looking at each other and watching a a procession of shadow people walk in between us. And one of them actually turns and looks at us and then keeps walking. I mean, it was just mind-blowing. Whatever was going on that night, it was... That whole weekend, it was just insane. (laughs) We were... (laughs) We went there. Uh, we're kind of just telling stories now on the air. That's fine. The audience, <laughs> the audience likes to go on this journey with us. But we actually we went there for the weekend. The idea was that we were having a Saturday night event at the Houghton Mansion, but we were spending the weekend in North Adams. So for Friday night, we had all gotten together at a haunted bar, 
and we had taken over like an upstairs room and we were having dinner and drinks and nice. just kind of hanging out and relaxing and getting to know each other. And we brought in Dave Schrader from Darkness Radio and there were some other people, some other special guests. So as we're there, Josh Mantello, who was in charge of the Houghton Mansion at the time, says, well, does anybody want to go over to the house now and, oh, and go wow. check it out? Yep. We're like, yeah, sure. yeah, we will. Wow. And I, I'll never forget Alicia, like, telling everybody, are you sure? We paid a lot of money to come here, and they're giving you an extra couple of hours. Are you sure you don't want to go? And yeah, people are like, yeah, to yeah, no. people, people like, nah, we'll go tomorrow. I was like, really? Hello? We're, yeah, we're, we're going to be there tomorrow. And, and so they didn't go. I would have jumped on it. When we went there, the, the Friday night stuff was just as insane that was going on. We're, there was only eight of us in the house. Wow. And all eight of us, besides the fact that we were all in this one room, room. at one point, yeah. on uh, John Wooder's room on the third floor, and we heard a voice come from the closet. Oh, man. And we're all standing there looking at each other. Did we just all right. hear that? Right. Yeah. And aside from that, uh, then also, we are all on the first floor in like the little library room. And we can hear voices coming from upstairs. Now, there's nobody wow. else in the building. And <laughs> I run over to the staircase. They have this big, like, fancy staircase. And I run over there, and I'm like, guys, guys, listen, shh, quiet. You can actually hear it. And I'm telling everybody, you know, well, you I need to. Hear, you can hear the conversation upstairs. And it sounded like, wow. like, like there was women talking up there or something. Right. And you could, and we're like, all right, quiet. And, like, we're trying to strain and listen. So finally, I just yell up, is there anybody up there? And a voice says, No. You're kidding. No. All right, we all that, heard it. Okay. <laughs> it was like, what? That's awesome. Eight people all standing there all heard it. I looked around. I was like, everybody else heard that, right? Yeah, wow. So that was just the Friday night when it wasn't even an investigation. So the place just went nuts the next night. Even when we got there, we got there like early the next yeah. day because we were setting up and they were having, because it's a Masonic Lodge, they were having the Masonic open house that day. And even like standing around there, they didn't have anybody really coming through for the open house, but we were setting everything up and we kept looking at each other like, something's going on here. Wow. This place is going to go nuts tonight. Yeah. And, and sure did. enough, it did. It One did. of the wow. most memorable nights ever. So I highly recommend getting up there. And it's really, yeah. I mean, even though it'll cost you a little bit to get up there because, you know, you're probably going to have to spend the night and everything. Uh, they, it's really affordable. They do like the uh, overnights where you can sleep there. I think it's only like 50 bucks a person. But you have to get like eight or nine people together to do it. Oh, okay. But it's certainly worth it. Uh, we are coming up on the last minute of this hour. We're going to take a break for the news. When we come back on the other side, we'll talk more with our guest, Katie Bertolino. And if you have any questions, 508-996-0500, You can also submit them via Twitter. Uh, you can go to Twitter and use the hashtag SpookyLive or tweet us directly at SpookySC. You can also email us, SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. Those are the ways to get a hold of us. And you can use that email anytime during the course of the week if you want to reach out to us. We also have all of our podcasts and everything up available on SpookySouthCoast.com. Nine years' worth of shows. If you're just catching up, what are you waiting for? Back in a bit here on Spooky.
Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg, along with the science advisor for the program, Matt Moniz, and our guest tonight, Katie Bertolino. Is it Katie? Is it Kate? What do you prefer? Either or. Okay. Yeah, my, some people call me Kate. Some people call me Katie. That's how it usually works. My know. mom calls me Catherine when she's mad. <laughs> well, hopefully she doesn't call in and start yelling at you tonight. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> but we've been talking about a variety of different topics. Uh, oh, oh, the overall theme tonight is we're talking about the nature of you know, skepticism versus belief when it comes to paranormal investigating. One of the things that I've always thought was uh, very, you know, very interesting about the differences and similarities between the two is they're still able, to some degree, to coexist on investigations. Uh, even if the skeptic is saying they're saying, uh, nope, nope, nope. And the true believers are saying, yep, yep, yep. At least they're both able to be part of what's going on. Uh, for example, you know, the, the ghost asylum crew. Uh, you know, the, the, uh, Brandon is very much a skeptic and everything that goes on, but he doesn't crap on everybody else's experience that they're having. Right. Just as an example. You know, when we're on an investigation, Matt Costa is our, kind of our resident skeptic. And he's never, like, taken us out of the moment of what's been going on. He may look back later at some of the stuff that we were, uh, that we might have caught and were trying to analyze it. He might be like, yeah, you know what? This was happening while that was going on. But never does he try and, like, remove the... Remove the investigators from the moment. Right. Exactly. And I think that that's kind of what you have. That's the balance that you have to strike. You have to kind of be, if you're going to be skeptical about it, you have to kind of be an observer. Until, obviously, if you feel a need to speak up, you do. You know, if you feel like, for example, if everybody's, uh, you know, getting these huge EMF hits and, you know, then uh, all of a sudden the, the skeptic is like, well, guys, that's because you're standing the other side of the wall is the refrigerator. You know, right. that's kind of understandable. But right. generally, you don't see people like trying to uh, just take everybody out of investigative mode. Well, right. And I but I believe in an, uh, an investigation setting, I think that you have to have both. I really do. I believe that they do have to to coexist. I found that there are a skeptic and a believer in some one per people. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be a believer and you can be a skeptic. Me, for example, I know, I truly believe in everything I do. I don't need to see it. But when I do see it, I have to question it right away because I don't want to have false evidence. Do you know what I mean? Right. I want to say, okay, well, this happened. Let me check the windows. Are they all closed? Let me check this. But but is that skepticism or is that just... um is It'd that be a just healthy dose of it? Following the right procedure to to eliminate the normal first. Yeah. I mean, you're not necessarily being skeptical of the possibility of what's happening. You're just kind of covering all your bases and making sure that what you're having happen is not being a false positive, not right. being misconstrued. Right. Uh, which <laughs> you wouldn't believe how many people are involved in this field that don't even bother to do that. Which that's very frustrating to me. Absolutely. I don't understand how you can't. Your first thought has to be, let me find another explanation. So then, you know, when it's all said and done, nobody can question you. Yes, you ruled out all of the other possibilities. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and and that's another reason why I want, you know, up-and-coming investigators to to know and and really be able to learn, not just by watching these 44-minute episodes of these TV shows, because I do. I love them. They're great. Absolutely. But if there was something out there for me 10 years ago, 
I think that I'm, I would have really benefited from it. Well, I know that you do have plans uh, to do something to help people out that are just uh, to help people that are just getting started out. Absolutely, absolutely, and it's it's about breaking down each part um, because I don't feel that you can investigate a location without proper research, um, and you know you're going to know what you're doing. You're going to know how to use the equipment. You're going to know what it's there for. Um, you're going to know how to to run an EVP session. You know, uh, video, audio. You're going to know how to analyze them as well. You know what I mean? And uh, once you get used to reviewing the, the evidence, you realize, okay, wait, that's not an EVP. That's a door closing. Right. You know, and unfortunately, I do see a lot of evidence online that's really, I can instantly say, that's somebody's stomach growling. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you have no idea how many I, times we've gotten that. Yeah. <laughs> I've had the On Our Legend Trips events. We serve pizza for the most part yeah. for dinner. And I've taken to telling people, like, listen, when we're all in these rooms later on and everybody's stomach is rumbling and everybody's making these gurgling, gassy noises, listen, if you've got a break wind, just do it. I'd rather that you just did it and get it out of the way than hold it in and have all that bubbly sound exactly. happening throughout just, the course yeah. of the investigation. Yeah. But one of, one of the things that um, that I found is a recurring theme, at least in terms of people's level of true belief and jumping right into paranormal explanations. Kind of take a look at how much they have invested into the paranormal. And I don't mean just money. I mean time as well. Oh, yeah. People who have really dedicated themselves to it, and whether it be time-wise or financial-wise, they have a tendency to want to have uh, redemption for that. They uh, want to prove that they right. haven't wasted their time and money and resources and right. efforts. Uh, whereas sometimes, you know, we have these events and sometimes it'll be somebody who is on their first ever paranormal investigation. They've never done this before right. and they paid $100 to come out and do this and you went, well, $99 because we keep it under 100 but <laughs> still, they, they've paid $99 to go out and do this and, you know, you would think that those are the people that are going to be really upset if they don't go home with a ghostly experience. But in actuality, it kind of goes the other way around. Right. They're the people that when something happens, say, wait a minute, let's stop and figure this out. Right. Because they're already coming into it with that idea of, you know, let's see if we can debunk it. Let's see if we can prove that it wasn't something normal first. And they're not as invested in it because they probably just paid that $99. And they don't, they're not walking around with $1,000 worth of equipment in their well, hand. Well, right, right. Exactly. It, when you're researching the, the idea of the skeptics and, and, and seeing who kind of falls in the belief trend and who falls in the skeptical trend, do you see that that has any kind of reflection, the time and, and money that they put into it? I want to say yes, it, but then there's also, there's two sides to everything, but I have found that when you do spend that time and that money, you want, you want to be, you know, you want everything you do to be justified. Right. And unfortunately, I think that that can also cause a lot of, you know, Activity that might not really be happening. You know, they they might want too badly for it to happen. And I've I mean I've seen it happen. I've seen where people have, and and to some degree, you know, when you're in the position that we're in, where you're running kind of a for entertainment on, purposes only event, and somebody is having that. Uh, <sighs> 
I'll just give you an example. Okay, we we actually did one event where there was another paranormal team that was involved in the event. Okay, and they were kind of the caretakers for the location. Oh, and they inserted okay. themselves into the investigation. Right, and it, it's a different mindset when you're doing it that way. You know, when somebody thinks that they have something going on, mm-hmm. it's almost like your response has to be like, "All right, great, that's really cool, awesome." Let's take a step back and just make sure it isn't this or that. Right. As opposed to going into it and saying like, okay, something's happening. Well, let's make sure that it's not anything legit. You know what I mean? There's kind of a balance that has to be struck there because you're not dealing with people that are paranormal investigators. You're dealing with people that are people looking to have a paranormal experience. Right. And I think that a lot of the times uh, that mentality, maybe it's because people have their first experiences at something like this or what, but... That mentality carries over to their own investigations, where right. all of a sudden it becomes, well, let's believe first and then disprove later. As yeah. in, instead of being in the field and being like, okay, let's try and figure it out first. Okay, that makes sense. I, I mean, I, I can, I get that. It's I a do. lot easier to disprove it while you're there. That's what I think. Yeah. You were at the Braintree Town Hall investigation. Were you at the Braintree Town Hall investigation? No, but I've been there before. Okay, well, when we were there that night, I know I was with Carl. I know what you were referring and to. And Bob Ethier and everything. There there was this report of in the in the Braintree Town Hall of when you walk down this staircase, you would just feel overwhelming dread. And you would feel like, you know, you, you would just want to just jump down the staircase and just all this negative, oppressive feeling. People would always feel like something was down there. Yeah. Something was following, something was touching them. And we were probably, what, well, you, I shouldn't say we, the group that I was with yeah. was probably uh, the 15th group of people to go in there and investigate. Wow. Uh, and, and at least the fourth or fifth event that they'd had in there. So we go down there and just using a simple tri-field EMF detector, we go down there and we're getting all these spikes. We're like, okay, something is happening. All we had to do is go around the corner. Right. And there is all the wiring for the entire building, all unshielded, okay, all 1930s glass fuse wiring, you know, just EMF leakage everywhere. And you could feel it. You didn't even have to have the, the meter in your hand. You could feel it when you walked in there. And But it, it took us, you know, being the, what, 15th group to go through there to wow. figure out that this was going on when it's something that, you know, you're probably reporting that you're having that experience later on. Later on, you can't turn the corner and go and look and see what's behind it. Well, right. And I mean, I, I think my personal experience, if somebody tells me that they're having those feelings, the first thing I'm going to do is a sweep for EMF. Mm-hmm. You know, the first thing you do is look around that corner. So it, it's a little disheartening, I think, to find out that so many groups were before you and they didn't do that. You know, because you're not going to figure it out later. No, you. How can you? How can you go back? You know, during the whole analysis part, you, you can't. It's better to do it then. I think there's also a tendency to get wrapped up and caught up in the moment too. Absolutely. I mean, we've all been there. I mean, mm-hmm. Even Moni's being a scientist, I'm sure you've gotten caught up in just regular everyday experimentation as part of your job, where you start to get all excited. Well, remember, I work in pharmaceuticals. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I'm always excited. I'm always. He's like, he's like, I worked on the team that invented the pill that helps me get excited. (laughs) Actually, I did. Yeah, I know. I I wasn't making a joke. It's a true story. 
But, uh, you know, you, you have that feeling of, oh, yes, 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 yes. And then all of a sudden at the very end, oh, no. I mean, we've all been there in an investigation where cool stuff is happening, something's going on, and then the rational explanation happens in right. here. But as an investigator, you have to be able to admit when you're wrong. And you do realize that it, it's nothing paranormal at all. You have to be able to take that step. And, you know, know that you might not have really experienced something. Did you, did you just hear that? We should tweet that out. She just had a paranormal investigator has to admit when they're wrong. <laughs> that is more rare than actually finding an apparition. I, was say, I don't know when that has ever happened. That is truly paranormal. Huh? Next, you're going to tell me that if I put up a, a, a photo of something that I say is a ghost and you can give me a rational explanation as to what it actually is, that you're right and I'm wrong. <laughs> Like, if I take a picture of a camera strap and tell you it's a vortex... Oh, I know. It's it's amazing, by the way. Or dust, and it's an orb, and it's your great-grandmother's uncle's nephew's... Right, and, yeah. right. Listen, paranormal investigators out there, take a word of advice from me. You're never going to use a stupid strap on the camera anyway. Take Just it take off. it off. Yeah, right. That way there you don't have this problem. Right. And always, it just takes a simple dust cloth. Wipe off the lens. Right. Do us all a favor. Right. Uh, one of the questions that actually came up from some of the folks on Twitter, and, and you can tweet us at, uh, at Spooky Live, hashtag Spooky Live, and, and, and yes, Tony, you're right, skeptics are people too. But one of the questions that came up from, uh, from David was he wanted me to ask you about portals. Uh, if you believe and if you found any research that portals exist, uh, and, and anybody out there that plays the drinking game. do. Haven't you been on a ship? <laughs> <laughs> Not portholes. That's how a lot of people spell it on, on Twitter during Ghost Talkers. No, you know, I've, it, had a, I've had an argument about the spelling before. So It, 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 ha- it happened the other day during the Ghost Talkers marathon. But That's funny. Listen, the Ghost Talkers drinking game will carry over to Spooky South Coast. So if we say portals, you can take a shot. There you go. It does count. But, well, I mean... Uh, how do you feel in your research about the idea that there could be these places that are kind of a thinning of the membrane between one world and the next? Okay. I just recently started research on portals, so I really don't know that much. Um, it's definitely uh, a subject that interests me. I believe that there are these doorways. I mean, the the idea that there isn't blows my mind a little bit more, I think, personally. There has to be more. You know, there has to be something. Um, I know, in my beliefs, shadow people or shadow figures are not, um, they weren't living people. So where did they come from? There's got to be something. So, uh, like I said, I don't know that much, but I'm definitely, it's it's a topic that I'm into right now, trying to figure it all out. But, I mean, uh, Watching the the new show, it's definitely it's blowing my mind. Well, and, and one of the reasons why I hope we get another season is because I want to kind of explore more of the idea of how these portals are forming. I mean, we're looking at portals that have been uh, at least in the first season of the show. You know, that there might have been portals already in a place like Wheatlands Plantation, uh, like. Um, yeah, like the uh, Whispers Estate, where there's, you know, these properties were built on a portal. I like the idea more that maybe what happens in these locations creates a portal. Right, right. And, and we see that happen all the time. I'm sure you've researched plenty of places where it seems like something happened that allows other activity to come through. Exactly. It kind of, um, I guess it would, I don't know what the word is, almost thin out the, the veil, I guess you could call it. Well, so, a portal is a membrane. Yeah. Membranes yes. vibrate back and forth. So you're going to have a 
things spill out one way and you pour stuff into it the other. Okay, so it, when that happens, though, can other things come through? Does that does yeah. that tear stay permanently? Does it patch itself up? Is it really a tear? I don't. Right. That's that's the question. I mean, it's hard because. You know, we don't really have a, a physical definition of what it can be, so we don't. But you have to kind of operate on assumptions with it. And if you're going to assume that there is this portal from from one dimension, one world, one plane of existence to the other, then you have to think that if it can come through, then we can go through. Right. And if you know, just as as if uh, you know, a person can walk through a door, well, so can a dog. So could a cow, you know, anything could kind of walk right, through a door. Right. So maybe it's the same way. Maybe whatever exists on that other side can all walk through. And that's, you know, some of the research that we did, not a lot of it got onto television, but, you know, some of the research we did, if you look at Springfield State Hospital, uh, we talked about the portal there. Well, part of that is there was also a lot of Bigfoot sightings around that hospital, too. Oh, I didn't know that. So maybe this is something else that's coming through this portal. Where is this? Uh, Springfield State Hospital in Maryland. Um I can't remember the exact town, uh, which I should because the name of the monster is actually the name of the town. I can't think of it. It's escaping me right now. But um, but that's just a connection there. And then if you look at Whispers Estate, they didn't really get into it too much. They mentioned the goat man that comes through the portal, but there were other type creatures like that, other skinwalker type creatures right. that have also been seen around where this portal is. So, yeah, there might be a spirit coming through. There might be a shadow entity coming through. There might also be this weird skinwalker creature coming through. So there's uh, certainly not limited to one type of phenomena or another. And right. the same, you know, look at something on a bigger scale like the Bridgewater Triangle. You know, that could be a portal that's allowing all different kinds of stuff to come through and right. manifest. And right. that's a portal that's been known for literally thousands of years. But is it a portal, or is it just the fact that, you know, is it a place where things are crossing from one plane of existence to another, or is it just a place where all this stuff is born from? You know, it's, we don't really know. And Chicken, egg. Right, well, exactly. Exactly, right. Well, we'll tumble down that hole uh, throughout the course of the night. Another question that came up uh, as well is what your belief is, your belief system in terms of the afterlife. And if it's a personal thing, you don't want to share it, that's fine. But kind of what you see happens to us when we die. Um, I like to believe that there's, there's you know, a better place, as many people say. Um, I do believe Florida. that... Exactly. <laughs> warm weather, no it's snow. Die, I guess. But. You know? <laughs> but no, I um, I believe that when we do we do die, our, our spirits, they leave our bodies. And, and I just feel like this is just a stepping stone. This world, it's just a stepping stone. There's so much more after this. Um, but it is one of those those questions that when I find an answer, I have so many more questions that pop up. You know, but I definitely, I believe that we go on to a better place. I don't think we all, you know, end up haunting someplace. I don't believe that at all. I think that we, or I hope that we have the choice to come back and forth, check on our loved ones, mm -hmm. you know, all that good stuff. Um, but yeah, I, I don't... Well, what about the idea of, uh, well, we're talking about, you know, belief in the afterlife. What about reincarnation? How do you feel about that? You know, I don't know. It, that's, that's a tough one for me. When I think about that, then 
I think about, well, if that's true, then I won't be able to look on to, you know, watch my great-great-grandchildren because I want to believe that my ancestors are watching over me at times. But if we're reincarnated, then is that only a piece of our soul that's being brought back to to live another life? Every once in a while, I, I scratch my head. You know, I never have been a believer in the idea of reincarnation. But every once in a while, a story comes along that makes me scratch my head. There was a story uh, that actually came out this week from NBC Nightly News. And uh, if you guys will permit me here, it's about three minutes. I'll run the clip here and you can actually hear it. I know the one you're referring to. And and hopefully it's okay that we're running three minutes of NBC News on the radio. But we'll, uh, we'll run that for everybody to hear. Hold on one second. Here we go. We're back now with a tale that you have to hear all the way to the very last twist. A young boy who says he remembers things he couldn't possibly from a time long before he was born. That's according to his mom. She turned to experts of the mind for some answers. NBC's Cynthia McFadden tonight with the incredible story of what they found. It's not unusual for little boys to have vivid imaginations, but Ryan's stories were legendary. He said, Mom, I have something I need to tell you. I think I used to be somebody else. And he started just telling me these stories about how he had lived in Hollywood. His stories were so detailed. It just wasn't like a child that could have made it up. Ryan talked about dancing on Broadway, working for an agency, traveling the world, being married five times. He even said the street he lived on had the word rock in it. And it would be, my last room is grander. I want to go back to my swimming pool. But things got really strange when they picked up a book about the golden age of Hollywood. She turns to a page and I say, that's me. That's how, who I was. That's me. Yeah. But the man in the picture wasn't even a major star, just an unnamed extra with no lines in an old Mae West film. That's when Ryan's mother turned to this man, Dr. Jim Tucker, a child psychiatrist at the University of Virginia. For 50 years, the prestigious school has collected more than 2,500 cases of children claiming past lives. And your conclusion after 15 years is what? These cases demand an explanation that we can't just write them off. He's written about them in his book, Return to Life. Had you ever given much thought to this whole idea of reincarnation? No, ma'am. I grew up in a Baptist church. You know, that's not something that we were taught to believe in. But with the help of a movie historian, the man Ryan pointed to in the picture was finally identified. His name, Marty Martin. And just like Ryan said, he was a former actor turned Hollywood agent who danced on Broadway, was married five times, and even lived on Roxbury Drive in Beverly Hills. In all, Dr. Tucker confirmed that 55 of the things Ryan said were true. Of course, a lot of people are going to say, come on, this is the parent or somebody else feeding them information. Um, It's just inconceivable that the parents, for some reason, had done all that. This information wasn't on the Internet. But there was one fact the detail-obsessed scientists thought Ryan had wrong. He said he didn't see why God would let you get to be 61 and then make you come back as a baby. That looked like just an incorrect statement. That's because Martin's death certificate says he was 59 when he died. Since then, I've gotten information that the death certificate was actually incorrect, which would have made Martin Martin 61 when he died. Ryan was right all along. Are you glad you've had this experience? Yes, I am. A chance, he says, to live his own wonderful life. Cynthia McFadden, NBC News, Tulsa, Oklahoma. So it's kind of an interesting story there to have 55 facts that were actually correct and then to get one right that 
everybody else had had wrong. Right. You know, I mean, that kind of shows me that there's got to be a little bit something more to it than, than what we think. What about the one last year where the kid, uh, I believe it was in Israel, identified his killer and brought them to his dead, buried body? And I can tell you that there's a... Wow. There's, the killer was actually arrested, convicted, and jailed on the testimony. There's a local person wow. who, we'll just leave it at that, there's somebody local who, their child maybe a reincarnated soul. So I'm hoping yeah. that she'll come and share that story with us at some point. Uh, but, um, I mean, it certainly it, it begs the question, you know, that uh, maybe there is life after death just in a different form. Maybe we are kind of destined to come back, or maybe some souls just kind of repeat. And as We had a guest on named Richard Salva, who has studied reincarnation for a long time with some of the yogis, and, and uh, his thought process and, and what he's learned is that uh, we have to go through a certain amount of lifetimes until we're kind of a perfected soul. Then we can move on. Okay, that, I'd rather believe that than to think that no matter what, we'd always come back. Right. Because I, I think that a uh, part of me would rather, once I leave this world... I want to, like I said, I want to be able to move on to what's next, but to still be able to look on and, you know, see the world that I left. I could could get into the idea of, of maybe coming back until maybe a certain lesson is learned or you have to experience something. But it just seems to me like, uh, you know, you would want to have more knowledge when you come back. You'd want to be armed with a little bit more than what it seems like we come back with. So if you're trying to get to that level where you are kind of a more perfected being, I would just feel like you would I just feel like you should be armed with a little bit more. If that makes okay, sense. Okay, I totally I understand what you're saying because it's if we're all going through this, the majority is not remembering our past lives. There's only this handful, and really, when you think about it, it's just a handful right. of people that do. These kids that are remembering, you know, these crazy details that only the actual person would know. You know, like you said, it's not on the internet. How could the, you know? How could they? But why don't we remember our past lives? Well, then? it's not always for everybody. Um, there was a book years ago that I got into long before the internet started and stuff like that. It's called Search for Bridie Murphy. It deals with, you know, one of the more famous cases of a person remembering their details from their past lives. Um, there's, there's been tons and tons of research on it going back actually hundreds and wow. in some cases thousands of years. I mean, belief systems based on it, you know. Well, right. But uh, wow. it, it definitely... Uh, is one of those mind twisters. It, yeah, it blows my mind, the whole thought of it. And while we're talking about something that sounds like it's out of an episode of The X-Files, the news comes across that uh, The X-Files is actually closer than ever to being revived no. as a series. So it looks like it's actually going to happen. It looks like that uh, The X-Files is almost definitely coming back. Hey, I'd watch it. According to David Duchovny. <laughs> But uh, one, one of the other stories that came out this week, and, and Moniz, I definitely want to get your take on this, and Katie, you as well. Cracked. You remember Cracked Magazine? from when, Oh, when yeah. Was? Cracked Magazine. It was kind of like the budget version of Mad Magazine. Oh, okay. And now they have a website where they you know, have kind of offbeat news and funny stories and things like that. They actually had a story up the other day 
that they, Cracked Magazine, had figured out exactly what's going on with ghost stories. And all these paranormal experiences that people have, Cracked Magazine solved the problem. Oh, wow. Oh, boy. They solved the issue. <laughs> and they launch into this big, long, you know, 2,000-word essay on infrasound. Okay. Like, all of a sudden, this was something that everybody in the paranormal community had been ignoring all these years. And that, you know, we had never heard of infrasound, and we had never heard of the fact that there are vibrations below what we can hear with our ear that could have a physical effect on us. And that all of a sudden, this was groundbreaking information that they just happened to find, like, on wow. some random internet search. <laughs> and that explains everything. I, I, I just thought that, that was pretty... Well, that's it. We're done. Right. There's nothing left to do. Cracked Magazine has solved the That's it. problem. I quit. Yes. I actually, I actually, um, I sent an email to the editor, that uh, the email to the writer that put that story up, and I said, you know, cool story, bro. Now come along with me on the investigation. We'll see if the right. sound throws you up against the wall. Exactly. You know, because it's, it's uh, but that's part of it. I mean, I'm, it's definitely part of it. A lot of what people experience can probably be explained away as that. That's why when we investigate, we have a sound meter with right. us to be able to determine where these are. Or when you get a device like the ghost arc that's coming out that gives you a visual, visible, visible representation of the audio phenomena that you're caption it, wow. capturing. But uh, I just thought that was pretty, and, you know, cracked magazine of all it's people. It's pretty bold for them to come out in such a broad statement, it's, too. It's also the snarky internet journalist way these days, too. The, the, the blogger mentality. Wow. To kind of come at it like that. And the funny thing is, is reading the comments underneath, you know, you see all these people like, maybe now all these stupid ghost show idiots will stop yelling uh, in the dark. Right. Yeah, we will. Yeah, because that's all we do. Well, I do. I, I do it all the time. <laughs> He yells when the lights are on. Right. Too, so. I'm ask my fiance. I'm always yelling. I'm 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 scared of the dark. So <laughs> actually, I've been doing pretty well with it. Actually, I'm not really afraid of it. I, I was. I mean, I'm not even into my twenties. I was afraid of the dark. Paranormal investigation got me over that. You know, because wow. I'm like, well, whatever. If I'm going to go poking around in the dark. <laughs> What's the worst that could actually find me? Yeah, but do you still? I mean, there has to be moments where you get scared. No, I mean, investigation. No. I see. I find. Well, I shouldn't say that. Sometimes things happen that I think is a scary situation. Yeah. For example, when I thought the roof was caving in on us in Battery <laughs> Millican, but that's not that I'm afraid of the ghosts. I'm afraid of the fact that I thought the roof was caving in on us. See, I, I or the will... footsteps and uh, Lizzie Borden's that we all went charging up the uh, right. But I wasn't. Of... I wasn't well, scared. I think I, I think... thought we were going to rumble, but I wasn't scared. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would definitely, if I hear activity, I'd be the one running towards it. Absolutely, but and that's the moment for a lot of people. You either run this direction or, or you run, run that the other direction. Way. But I still, I still feel. That little bit of, uh, you know, nervousness going on. Remember the, my very first disembodied voice. I was in, it was my own home in Medford. I was in the basement and a, a child's voice, a little girl's voice came through and said hi. And I, it was, it, I did catch it on my recorder, but I heard it with my own ears. It, but it came from, I want to say about six feet up. So it wasn't like a, a little girl had said it right, you know, below me. It was way up here. Wow. And I'm, I ran up those stairs. And, I mean, I had already had a good amount of time under my belt, years. And I ran up my stairs. I was petrified. And I still can't explain why I was so scared. Well, probably because it struck kind of close to home, you know. The... Also, you can tell it's been a while since you've lived in Medford. Yes. Because you said Medford. 
<laughs> and I can make that joke because, you know, we're right next to New Bedford. So. Exactly. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, if, if you're going, I mean, what's your ideal makeup of a team? If you're going out on an investigation, let's say it's not, you know, going out to investigate some public location. Somebody calls you up, says, we have something going on. We're worried. We need some help. We want you to come in and let us know if we should be worried, if we shouldn't be worried. Maybe we're just not seeing the explanation, what have you. What would be your ideal team to put together for something like that? Well, I think, uh, first of all, the team has to have a good mix um, of people that, you know, have their own specialties. Um, myself, um, I'm great with audio and EVPs, and I'm, I'm good with people. So I, I would say you need somebody on that aspect to be able to talk to the family, find out what's going on, um, and then you need somebody that can, you know, great with the equipment, first of all, because that's a huge part of it. Um, I do believe that every team needs a healthy skeptic. I really do. Um, and, I mean, I would prefer to be with, you know, investigators that know what they're doing in a personal setting like that. Because I, I think I mentioned it before, especially when children are in the home, it, it really – it. I guess, hits closer home with me because I have kids and I know what it's like to be a, a child that experiences something. And, you know, I'm told it was just a dream or, you know, you're just a sleepwalker. But I think, too, that's where a lot of groups can get caught up if they don't maintain some degree of skepticism in their own <laughs> minds because you, like, say a family calls you and they have children and they want help. Yeah. Your immediate mindset is, I got to go and help these kids. And that might supersede you being able to see that maybe the parents just want to get on television. Exactly. Maybe the parents just want to be part of the, the paranormal in crowd. Right. And I think I would probably, in that situation, have, have that person that I can say, okay, I know no matter what I do, they're going to say, hey, take a step back. You know, um, because I, I can get wrapped up. Absolutely. I can get wrapped up. And I like to say that I'm a skeptical believer in, in a way I am, but I believe sometimes with such passion. Right. This I is mean, my emotion, life. emotion does come into it. Even Absolutely. though we say that, you know, if we're going to be quote unquote scientific about this, you have to kind of leave emotion aside. But I think that's BS because right. I think that emotion is part of what makes this stuff happen right. what makes it manifest oh, what absolutely. makes us experience it right but that's you know that's Matt Costa's job when we're on investigation I'm like Matt sometimes I believe too much so <laughs> I need you to kind of rail you know reel me back in yes. if I start to get a little bit out of control but you know I've also found that you will have that balance within yourself you do have that kind of internal internal barometer in terms of the activity that's happening and I think that's good because that's what leads us to be able to find the right places and the right methods right. to have stuff happen. Right. You know, and if you can trust in that, eventually it won't lead you astray. Well, right. For some people that can happen right away. For some people it can never happen. But I think if you train yourself to some degree, uh, you know, it, it, it it's almost like you, you can't say, all right, well, I had the right idea every single time we went on an investigation to right. make something happen. It's it's kind of got to be a little bit more intuitive than that. And you got to accept that it's intuitive. Right. More organic. Exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean... I'm sure you've been on investigations where nothing's happening. Yeah. All of a sudden, you come up with this idea, you try it, and boom, it works. And it's is it because, you know, 
whatever you wanted it to work, so you made something happen? Well, maybe, but more often than not, it's probably because you had that feeling. You've been around it enough that you have that feeling. Right. And that's that's something we all have to do. We have to trust the feelings that our body gives us. Goosebumps, bad feelings. I always say go with it because if it leads to evidence that, you know, like a a great EVP, let's say, oh, I just got goosebumps. Well, I'm going to make sure my recorder is going. I'm going to ask a couple questions. You know, I'm going to kind of maybe stay there Mm -hmm. a little longer and it can lead to good evidence. You know, so you do as investigators, we have to trust that gut feeling. We can't prove that, right? You know. I mean, and, and one of the feel, uh, one of the conversations that I've had with with Nick Groff is that he feels that by going to all of these places, you know, if he had just been a regular paranormal investigator that was taking on residential cases right. and you know just being part of a team. Uh, he feels that if he had been kind of that way, he might not be as attuned to it as he is now. By going to these extreme haunts that the Ghost Adventures crew went to for so many years, right. he feels like that's kind of given him that almost sixth sense huh. to perceive when something's going on. Well, that's the question. Would he have in, had it otherwise? Yeah, exactly. I mean, he said that he he never really felt it, but by being in these intense places, but it I, brought it out of him. You see, I don't believe that he might not have felt it because he didn't know what to look for. Right. He Because, you know, if you look back at their team, you know, in the beginning, they're very different than what they are today. You know, they're, they're, they know what they're doing. And Nick can, you know, when he gets that feeling, he knows that it, it means something. He might just thought he was hungry, you know, eight years ago. Right. You know, so maybe he's always had it. He just didn't know it. I mean, I, I do think there's something to be said that the more time you spend around it, you know, the better. You know, look at it like this, okay? I played guitar for a couple of years. I can't tell you uh, what, what a note is, what a chord is, just by hearing somebody play it. But if I had been around it enough, I'd be able to. If I'd been around enough, eventually I'd be able to tune my guitar by ear. That's a good point. But I, I didn't, I wasn't involved exactly. enough. I didn't put enough into it. Right. So maybe if you do, I mean, some people have that natural ability. Some people have perfect pitch. Some people automatically know how to play a song by ear. You right. can do the same thing with cooking. Some people mm-hmm. will cook something once in a while. You know, you were a professional cook. So you you understand the consistency of preparing the meal. Other people, you know, oh, let me try this dish again. You know, right. it, it's all in the amount of time you put into trying Absolutely. it. And preparing. Absolutely. So if you you can either be naturally gifted toward it, or you can put in the work to make it happen. And I think paranormal investigation is no different than anything else. Right. And 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 the idea of being able to practice is lost in a lot of groups. A lot of groups feel like they have to get out there and hit the ground running no, and, and right. be ready to be you know, a perfect investigative team. But you've got to go and take your lumps somewhere. Right. I mean, ideally, you don't want to be taking your lumps in a residential case that you're supposed to be going out and helping well, people. Right, exactly. <laughs> but people do. Right. And that's, you know, it, it goes along with you can take, you know, very simple things. You can just record audio you know, wherever, and have your team practice analyzing it. You know, just, just I, in my opinion, I feel it's really important that we know what we're doing. Or even better, taking other people's material and yes. reviewing it and seeing what you pick up and how they exactly. arrived at their conclusions and decisions. Exactly. Actually, I've always had this idea where 
I always, you know, wanted whatever team, you know, you got Ghost Adventures, you got all these guys, but I've always had this idea. Well, why don't they have a contest and they put out a couple of their own EVP sessions and then maybe a couple of their, you know, tapes, just the whole tapes. The raw. The raw tapes. And then say, okay, you analyze this. And we've already who, listened. We've we, already did it all. We know it's there. And, you know, you, you have, all, you know, some regular investigators just sending in what we find. And, you know, I think it'd be a great publicity thing, you know, but I've always wanted to have the raw clips from, you know, one of the TV shows. And, you know. I can tell you that probably the reason why. Do you really want that? Oh, I, you know, but that's me. I, I'm not I'm not the norm when but it comes to that stuff. I'm. Again, I, I'm got to be careful what I say. I'm working on another show now, and one of the jobs that I've been doing is listening to some of those rock clips. And I can tell you, it's just as tedious as oh, listening yeah. to. The only difference is you have to learn when doing it. Like, okay, not only do you have to figure out who all the investigators are, there, you have to right. figure out who is production. Mm-hmm. You have to figure out what noises that you're hearing are in a location that you weren't familiar with. Um, and all I'm doing is kind of just backing up what somebody else has already right. done. I'm just double checking yep. somebody else's work. Oh yeah. But it it, it happens. Yeah. I mean, it, it it you know when it's no different than it happens uh, to us when we go out and do it. It's, it's pretty much exactly the same. The I can tell you that the reason why they don't do anything like that because the TV networks don't really care about the paranormal investigators. Oh right. They're not making. They're making TV for everyone. Right. And if they started making a contest like that, you'd be getting people with untrained ears. That are yeah. sending it in. And yeah, and it would turn into a lot of work. But I, I you know, I still think even, it's pretty cool. Even Paranormal Challenge, which was supposed to be just something, you know, innocuous, just a, an idea of kind of pitting, pitting teams against each other and, right. and exploring how people have different approaches and everything like that. Even that turned into just a bunch of people slamming each other online. Well, and right. And that, that brings me into another pet peeve of mine is we're a community. We're like one big family. Oh, you're, gonna, you're not going to say the word I think you're going to say, are you? Oh, I don't know. She's going to use the... The P word. Are you going to say para unity? No. Right, no. Good, no. I'd, I'd have to cut your mic. <laughs> I've never even heard that word. That's funny. You, you've never heard the para unity movement? No. Let me, ex- let me explain it to you in, in a nutshell. We all have to agree with each other and hold hands and get along okay, that's bogus. and sing kumbaya together. Okay, so that's so not. And other Joni Mitchell tunes. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. I'm not for No, that. actually, <laughs> I think it's more Judy Collins because we have yeah. to see both sides now. But I, I think that, you know, any good family, they have, you know, the crazy uncle or whatever, and they fight, right? Hey. <laughs> See, we have them right here. But, you know, they, they fight, and, you know, they don't get along, but at the end of the day, they're family. Well, I might not agree with well, other paranormal un- investigators. Well, the, remember, the crazy uncle is the guy you call when you start having a problem with somebody. <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, we all work in, in different fields. I don't, I don't know what you do for, for a day job. Uh, but I'm sure whatever it is, there's competition in that well, field. Well, I'm a stay-at-home mom. Okay, all right. So I get to well, do a lot of well, my life. So you have one of the hardest jobs in I the do. world. I do, I do, and I have a but 13-year-old, so it's even harder. I don't want to get into the idea. Of, <laughs> I don't want to get into the idea of competition among stay-at-home moms because then it's going to get really ugly when people start commenting on right. parenting techniques and all that. Right. But let's just, you know, let's just say that you worked at Walmart, okay? Yes. And you know that the way that Walmart does things is different than the way that Target does things. You're both basically in the same business, True. but it's different, and you don't have to get along. You don't That's have to right. work together. That's right. Moniz, you're a scientist, 
the lab that you would work at is different than the way other labs are run, and you don't have to do... Yeah, there's various types of laboratories. They all do different things. Right. But, I mean, even... Even if it's the same thing, even if it's the two different labs working on the same cure for cancer, you know, the, mm. the lab that you work at that's trying to cure cancer doesn't call up the other lab that's trying to cure cancer and compare notes. <laughs> right. Uh, you can. Uh, sure, you can. Certain things, actually, they do. But, sure. Yeah. <laughs> but at the same time, you're developing yours. Yeah. They're right. developing theirs. And, yeah, there's going to be some overlap because it would make sense if it's going to work. You would think that there would be. Right. But uh, essentially... You're doing yours, they're doing theirs. Right. And that's kind of how it goes in every other field. Absolutely. Everybody does their own thing. Why is it with the paranormal we have this mistaken belief that we all have to kind of work together and we should all have the same opinions and approaches? Absolutely. Right. It's, it doesn't make any sense. How I believe that if we all have our own opinions, that's the only way we're going to get f- and you know any further. I respect Everyone else out there, if if this is what you want to do, just do you know with respect for where whatever location you're at, you know I, I'm all for it. and respect for each other. I mean certainly have yes. respect. So you're turning this. Up. I understand what you guys are saying. So at this point, you're agreeing that this doing this becomes an activity. Okay. Because. Maybe. It, what I'm saying is, unfortunately, a lot of people want to say, I'm, well, I'm trying to conduct science. Well, I'm trying to conduct science, right. you know, the, that's a whole different paradigm. We used right. to have the discussions about the need, and this is something that you've been saying since day one of the show, yeah. a need for a standard operating procedure amongst all investigation. I don't think that you need that anymore. Then don't bother trying to call it science. And I don't. I try. I mean, usually That's when what I I'm s- saying call it an inactivity. Everybody's doing this activity. When I like say science, I say it almost with sarcasm in my voice. But it's because if we had the same operating procedure, and this is not to, to crap on scientific method, but I'm saying that if we all followed the same procedure, we might not have stuff happening. I think it's the differentiations between the approaches that's causing yeah, activity Yeah, but it's only that little bit, the, the little differences. I think overall, we all have the same goal. Right. Right? Yeah. Okay. So how we get to that goal, I mean, does it really matter as yeah. long as it's being done correctly? What's you know what correctly? I mean? Um, well, in that's my opinion, the- with respect towards the location. But And here's it. Well, it's, it's the respect to the locations. I think that's a universally agreed upon... You know, just because people don't practice it, it doesn't mean that they don't believe in it. So just because they might go in there and totally trash a place, they're still going to have the philosophy of you should respect all the places that you well, go to. Well, I don't. I think maybe like I, don't burn it down and stuff. Right, like but they no, don't have I, the respect I guess for I'm each other. I'm talking more about the if there is an entity there. I I don't provoking is. Oh, screw is, that! They're dead. They get they get what's coming to them. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I now I you do, see why he was thrown up against the wall, right? Exactly. I would have done it too. But no, seriously, I think that there are times where you can provoke and then there's times when you shouldn't. And I think that's that's more of what I mean by respect. Yeah, I, I try not to use provoke anymore. I just use prodding. Well, you know, yeah, I, just, I try to 
It, it has less of the, the connotation. <laughs> One of the, the, the problems, though, with the idea of respect and respect amongst investigators, respect amongst teams, is you hear a lot of people that say, I want para-unity. I want respect. I want everybody to respect each other, but they don't realize the way the respect is supposed to go. To somebody out there crying for this that's saying that they want respect, what they mean is when I put up a picture of dust, right. I want you to tell me that it's a ghost. Right. But I don't have any respect for your opinion when you tell me that it's lens flare. See, this exactly. That's the frustrating part, I think, that I find. If somebody really, truly respected me, I hope that they would say, hey, that's not what you think it is. Right. Do you, like, honestly, I want to be told, no, I don't think you're right. You know what I mean? Because how else am I going to learn? Provided that they're actually correct when they're saying that. Well, right. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, obviously. There are plenty of people that go around saying, that's has got to be only, you know. Yeah. Exactly. They need to know what they're talking about, too. You know, but if, if and there needs to be a, a fairness in that. If you show me a picture and it looks like cigarette smoke and I tell you that it looks like cigarette smoke to me, I'm not going to tell you that's definitely cigarette smoke. I'm going to say to you, I think to that looks like, it looks like cigarette smoke right. was anybody smoking. I would hope that you wouldn't come back and lie to me and tell me nobody was smoking. Well, right, but no. I would kind of hope that before you posted the picture, you would have remembered if there was somebody smoking next to you and then not put the picture up. Yeah, but now it's you're making of, way too big of an assumption. With I know, right? <laughs> this is <laughs> this is something that can go on all night long, but we're, oh, yeah. uh, we're essentially running out of time. We have about three minutes left in the show. Uh, Katie, how can people follow along with you online if they want to do so? Um, oh, I'm so not big online. <laughs> it's awful. But uh, I know. I, I tweeted you like four days ago. I know. It's I awful. Thinking. But yeah, you can get me on Twitter, which is at I don't... Kate Bertolino? I think it's uh, K-A-T-T-I. Okay, at Katie Bertolino. I don't even know her on Twitter. I don't. Isn't that awful? (laughs) It is so awful. I can't say nothing. I can't get mine activated. Well, I'm I'm I know. I saw that. I think it it might have been a couple of weeks ago, one of the episodes. Yeah. I'm terrible about being able to, to, like, tweet with people. Like back and forth, it just doesn't work for me because of the 140 character limit. So I always yeah. say, if you have Facebook, because it's just easier for me to talk to on right. Facebook. Yeah. And she's like, no, I don't use my I Facebook. I really don't. I, I was I like, well, don't. now we're screwed. I know, right? But now there's no way that we're going to be able to communicate. <laughs> it's not through social media in some form or fashion. People can't talk to each other. What are you crazy? It's I know communication. But uh, certainly you can follow along with her on Twitter. Just go to Spooky yes. South Coast's Twitter, at SpookySC. You'll see the tweets there. We've been mentioning her in the tweets. So you'll have be able to follow along there. Uh, and certainly I know that you're working on uh, the book and some yes. other projects. So keep us up to date. Absolutely. Yeah, I've got a well. lot of great stuff coming up. A lot of great stuff. And speaking of which, we have a lot of great stuff coming up here on the show. Uh, next week, we're still working on some things, but uh, hopefully everything will work out well. Uh, the week of the 11th, when we're going to be away, well, I'll be away at Salem Con. I don't know if the rest of the crew is coming up with me, but we're going to have, I'm working on booking a guest for that show, Dr. Eben Alexander, who has been doing research for a number of years uh, on the idea of... Um, the same thing that we're talking about with with ghost stalkers, with Chad and John, of having these these death experiences, these mm-hmm. near death experiences, but also, you know, to some degree, death experiences as well. So I'm hoping to get the chance to do a pre recorded show with him that we can air on that night because he's just got a crazy schedule. He's out lecturing every Saturday night, so we're hoping to work it out there. We're going to be talking about the nature of negative and evil entities coming up with Lisa Campion. Uh, we'll also be connecting with a couple of 
other new friends of the show, including this one. And I'm not going to give away any information or give away anybody's name quite yet because I don't want uh, her to be inundated on social media with stuff. But we're going to have somebody who's going to come on and tell us about her own experiences with mental illness and how she feels that has been part of her conduit into the world of the paranormal and what effect that's had on her perception and her abilities that she has as well. So I think that's going to be a really interesting discussion, and, and maybe it'll have some information that can help other people out there that are experiencing the same thing. So stay tuned for some great shows coming up in the spring. We're going to be here each and every Saturday night, so uh, we'll always have a fresh, spooky South Coast for you. Until next week, well, we're out of time. So for Matt, for Matt, for Stephanie, for Katie, I'm Tim. We want you all to stay spooktacular.